everyone, and welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and this is podcast number 201. Uh, last week, I kind of took the week off because I was going to two separate conferences. One was the combined sections meeting for the American Physical Therapy Association in Anaheim, California. Then I took a great road trip with Sandy Hilton and Sarah Haig. More about that in another podcast. Um, down to San Diego for the San Diego Pain Summit. And there was just not enough hours in the day to get all of this work done. So I'm happy to get a boatload of new podcasts that were all done either live in front of an audience or one-on-one with different movers and shakers in the physical therapy world between the two conferences, between CSM and the San Diego Pain Summit. And in this podcast, I sat down in front of a live audience at CSM, and a big thanks to the private practice section for making this happen. They got the room, they got the word out. I was so happy, they were happy. Um, And I sat down with Dr. Jill Cook. She is a researcher and a professor at La Trobe University down in Australia, and we sat down and we spoke about tendinopathy. That's kind of her jam, and I have to tell you, I feel like I learned more in this 25 minutes about tendinopathy than I have in the past 10 years. She's funny, she's smart, and she's quick. And this was a great interview. I hope you guys all love it. Um, there is a Q&A, but that's going to be with the next podcast that I do with Dr. Karim Khan. So you'll get the Q&A from both her and from Karim, because I think there was a little interplay on the Q&A, and I didn't want to break that up. So you'll have to wait for the next uh, podcast for Dr. Cook's Q&A from the audience, which was really great. So uh, before we get started, I just want to thank the sponsor for today's podcast, and that's audible.com. So if you're looking for a free download in a free month, then go to audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from. All you have to do is go to that link. Again, it's audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart, and you can get your free book and your free month. Okay, so this was really fun. This is the first time I ever did this in front of a live audience, and I think it went pretty well. People really liked it. There were a lot of students in the audience, which was great because then they got to talk to Dr. Khan and Dr. Cook afterwards, which made me very, very happy. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Dr. Jill Cook. Uh, Podcasting is a terribly intimate medium. It puts people in your ears uh, all throughout your day, in your commute, while you're exercising, or while you're on an airplane trying to fall asleep and baby crying next to you won't let you and trying to just catch a couple extra winks before you land at CSM. Uh, so it's really, really cool when people, especially in such a, a, a niche field like PT, come together and share ideas and thoughts. And that's what the field of podcasting can do. And Karen's been doing this for, for a while now, her podcast, Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. You can download it on iTunes, and that's what I, I suggest you guys do, and just take a peek. Head on to iTunes and search just the field physical therapy, and you'll find a bunch of great shows. Without further ado, your host of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. <laughs> Yay. Karen I guess, I guess. And so because a lot of people are listening to this, that was Jimmy McKay, the host of the PT Pintcast, um, who is just killing it right now, which is awesome. So thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, today we are coming to you from CSM in Anaheim, California, Combined Sections Meeting. 
and I was lucky enough to have Dr. Jill Cook and Dr. Kareem Khan, who will be up next, um, say yes and come and do this. So I'm super psyched and a little nervous. Um, so we're sitting here now with Dr. Jill Cook. So if you want to just uh, tell everybody a little bit about you, and then we'll get going. Yeah, uh, I've been a physio for too many years to mention. Um, primarily a clinician in sports until I got into research in the mid 90s and pretty much been a full-time uh, researcher since then but still see patients because I think that's really important that you keep your feet on the ground so consulting problem tendons mostly mm -hmm. and then and today that's kind of what we're going to be focusing our interview on is kind of busting some common myths that people have about tendinopathy um, we're going to talk about four maybe more Mm -hmm. um, but just the top four, I think there's probably a lot more than that. Um, so let's just get right into it. So one of the first myths that I came across, and you guys can probably all agree, is um, that eccentric exercises are the best and in some people's minds the only exercises to do when with someone with a tendinopathy. So what is your response to that? Well, it's a little bit hard because they're the most researched exercise form. And so if you are evidence-based, then it's easy to say that eccentrics are probably the best to do. When you go back and think about what they offer to a tendon and the muscle tendon unit and the kinetic chain, it becomes obvious that they're deficient. And one of the reasons that it doesn't show up in the research trials that they aren't effective across populations with tendinopathy is that they're often investigated in a very homogeneous population. So if you think about the classic Alfredson paper, it was middle-aged recreational male runners. And they're fine for middle-aged middle um, recreational male runners, but they're not that great for the younger sprinter, they're not that great for the older person. So there's a population problem as well. But probably more importantly, they actually don't address the strength deficits of the muscle. They don't address the strength deficits of the kinetic chain, and they probably don't address the new findings that we're getting from our research, that we have motor drive changes in tendinopathy as well. So they're actually quite deficient in being able to restore full function, and that's why we don't use them selectively. And so what then is the best way to sort of to rehabilitate and help people recover from a tendinopathy? What exercises do you use and, and do you promote? Okay, so I think this is probably going to go on to another one of your questions, but it's mm -hmm. really about treating the person in front of you. So it's easy to say that there might be a certain type of exercise and a certain number of repetitions that you might want to do, but it's really about are they a young sprinting athlete, are they an old older woman with gluteus, gluteus medius tendinopathy and you know your exercise is going to be completely different based on that. A couple of sort of key principles that you can say is you must have muscle strength and that can only be got with isotonic exercises so a concentric and eccentric strength program and if you have really good strength that probably protects your tendons as well as a lot of other things will. The other thing that you need if you're a higher level athlete is the ability to store and release energy. So the ability to do faster movements and eccentric um, movements actually come in with these energy storage and release movements. The 
the difference about them when they're used there and when you use them as a slow exercise in rehabilitation is the speed. Eccentric exercises are needed in tendinopathy but quite fast to store energy before you release it as, as the tendon acts like a spring. So you need the strength, you need the ability to store energy in the tendons, you need the restive kinetic chain functioning, you need to be able to do everything to return the person back to their level of um, you know, sport or activity. Or activity, right. And, and you're right, that kind of leads right into the next question, and or next myth, I guess, and that would be, can you use the same sort of tendon protocol on every tendon or on every person? So, you know, a lot of, I mean, there is obviously a lot of research on Achilles tendinopathy, and so can you take that Achilles tendinopathy research and apply it to a bicep or to a gluteus medius? And, yeah. and if not, then, then what? Yeah. Well, if I suggested that you could treat everybody with low back pain exactly the same, you'd all fall apart. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'd be deregistered for suggesting something <laughs> like that. And yet it seems that we can do the same sort of thinking in tendons, and that's quite acceptable. Clearly, every tendon is different. You can't treat a supraspinatus like an Achilles tendon, so tendons are different. Then you've got differences between men and women. There are different profiles of tendons. You've got different profiles for young and old people. But you can actually even go lower than that. So if you look at the Achilles tendon, you can't treat an insertional Achilles the same as a mid-Achilles. So you, and you can't treat either of those the same as a peritendinous Achilles problem. So not only can't you treat... Um, every tendon the same, there are so many things about the presentation of the person that m means that you have to be so individual with your program. You can have some principles. The principle is restore function to the level the person wants. After that, anything goes. So when, so the main principle is just to restore function. So what are the steps that yep. one takes within that principle? Yep. Uh, I'll cover it tomorrow when, when I do my talk, oh, yeah. but that's all right. They're doing a talk tomorrow <laughs> at 11, by the way. Okay, so, so we'll, talk, we'll, we'll let you all know when that more we about have, that. We have a four-stage process um, to restore people back to high-level function. Of course, someone who doesn't want to do high-level function doesn't have to do all four stages. Uh, so someone who's just playing golf, you know, an older woman who's playing golf wouldn't have to go to stage three and four. But our stages are stage one, isometric exercise that has a function of reducing pain and reducing cortical inhibition. So that's Ebony Rio's research. And that's a fabulous place to start um, to get people to buy into the concept of a rehabilitation program. Because they're feeling less pain, less and so pain. Their, their confidence levels in you are, are up. And okay. Yes, it, it really does buy you a lot of gravitas. If you can give somebody some simple exercises and they can say, wow, feels better and can often feel better for quite a few hours mm -hmm. afterwards. So it's a fabulous way to demonstrate you actually might know what you're talking about. Um, once we've got that established, we, we do a very good strength program for the affected muscle tendon unit, but everything else in the kinetic chain needs to be restored. And what we find is that you, the higher up your leg you go, the more you have to restore below the, the problem. So if you have an Achilles, it's mainly calf. If you have a patella tendon, it's mainly quad and calf. If you have a gluteus, medius tendinopathy, it's glutes, quads and calf. So you tend to lose below the affected mm -hmm. uh, muscle tendon unit. So you need to restore particularly your anti-gravity muscles strength-wise. And then depending on their activity level, you need to restore the spring. 
So attendance act like spring, so you then need to actually make the spring work again. And that's the faster movements, it's the energy mm -hmm. storage movements, and then adding to that endurance. So if somebody wants to play football, they've not only got to have a great kinetic chain and a great set of springs, leg springs and individual springs, they've got to be able to do it repeatedly. And that's often where we fail in tennis is we don't actually build endurance back into a program. So that's why we take so long to get these tendons better. They often present to us extremely debilitated, you know, long-term pain, being robbed of all their muscle bulk, all their, their um, you know, energy and endurance, and, and you've got to get it all back before you can be sure that they're going to be resilient to what they want to do. Sure, and then how do you deal with those patients who, let's say you give them, you take them from stage one isometrics, stage two some isotonics, they feel better and they say, see ya. Yep, and say, fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm good, I don't need it anymore, goodbye. Yep. My, I, I always say, my role is to advise you, and if you want to do something else, that's fine with me. Mm -hmm. See you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> when you when know. the pain comes yeah, back. Yeah, yeah exactly, uh -huh, exactly. Uh -huh. Because we know that the capacity of your tissue is only as great as the load you put on it. And that's not just tendon, that's muscle, that's bone, that's everything. So if you haven't restored them to the capacity that they need to operate in their sport, then they're going to fail again. It's just it's just physics. You can't possibly mm -hmm. continually load a tendon greater than what it's been trained to do. And you know it's not rocket science. I, I, I'm fascinated by this. It's pretty damn simple. Get them back to the level that they need to get back to, and mm -hmm. make them resilient. Make the tissue resilient. They'll do well. So, do you think, and you know, in your opinion, do you feel that? Rehab is, has been made of, of a tendinopathy has maybe been made a little too complicated. Um, a little, I know it's a, it's a tricky it's question. An interesting question. I, you know what I think? I think we've lost our clinical reasoning skills. Mm. That's what I think. We, we are so <laughs> wanting to. <laughs> so everyone's looking at me quite strange. <laughs> all right, we are so wanting to use recipes all the time because mm -hmm. it's easy. And you can't use recipes. You have to actually, as I say, treat the person in front of you. You have to be thoughtful. You have to assess mm -hmm. well. You have to reassess. You have to have strategies for the non-adherent patient. You have to have strategies when things aren't going well. And that's all disappeared. And you know, we want to we want to be able to rub something and hand them a sheet of paper and send them out the door. It just doesn't work. It works in some simple things. Sprained ankle can get away with that sort of mm -hmm. stuff complex chronic type of pain, and I use that in long term as in not chronic, um, pain conditions take longer and, and more of your skill set. Yeah, yeah, and a little more planning, doing, acting, revising, planning, doing, yep. acting, so these these yep. cycles that kind yep. of need to, to happen throughout rehab yep. versus, like you said, a cookie cutter, yep. a recipe, a... And if you yeah. ask a bunch of physios what's the, what is the highest tendon load, they don't know. How can you restore function if you don't know what the highest tendon load is? You've got to be able to know that. And, and the other thing, aside from clinical reasoning we've lost, is our exercise prescription capacity. You know, if we don't give three lots of ten for every single thing that walks <laughs> out the door, we're not worth our salt as physios. And three lots of ten is not going to cut it. It's mm -hmm. not going to be a strength program. It's not an endurance program. It's right. some Mickey Mouse thing in between that... Um, <laughs> is just not going to do it. So we've got to be better at all of those things before mm -hmm. we're going to be better. Mm -hmm. we, we should be the practitioner of choice for tendons because they need exercise and loading and they need the correct loading. We shouldn't be the people that people come and see after they've had two injections and seen four other professions and had it rubbed and you know everything else. We should mm -hmm. be the, the practitioner of choice. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so the next the next myth is attendant, and I think the fourth one we talked about a little bit, but we'll we'll wait on that. Anyway, <laughs> the next one, um, attendinopathy always involves inflammation, uh -huh. and I think this is very common misconceptions. And even when patients will come in, they'll say, "Oh, it's." Uh, you know, I have an inflammation. I get inflammations here or here or here, and, and that's why my tendons hurt. So yeah. is that true? Is that not true? Is it somewhere in the middle? Uh, well, it was originally thought to be a tendonitis in the 70s, and then there was a fantastic um, study that suggested that it wasn't, that it was a degenerative condition, and that was pretty much gospel for a while. Inflammation's making a comeback. Mm -hmm. um, in the literature, and which is driving clinicians like me mad, and I hope everyone here mad as well. Simplest thing to say to your patients is, tell me if rest, ice, and anti-inflammatories help you, because we did that. We did that in the 80s, and it didn't help one of our patients with tendinopathy. And so I think that's the best clinical message you can give to people. Treating it as an inflammatory condition isn't going to help you and we have to actually find other strategies to treat you. In terms of what's in the literature, all tissues are the same. So the tendons are not different from other connective tissues, so it's going to respond in similar ways. So there will be some inflammatory markers that are probably cell signaling, and there will be some inflammatory cells because it's a tissue that's injured. But I think the key thing for me is inflammation is not the driving process. It is not the thing that's creating the pain. It is not the thing that's continuing the pathology or continuing to create the problems that um, that are bringing the person in front of you. So people are fine to talk about inflammation in the literature. I think clinically it doesn't help us at all. In fact, it puts us back to where we were 30 years ago and that wasn't a good spot to be in. And I think it will, it, it's like a pendulum, you know, jump on whatever swinging pendulum you want to and, and that's it at the moment. But it's not the thing that's creating the problem for us. And so what is? Well, probably, <laughs> it depends what you want to call the problem. Is it the pathology or is it the pain? Because mm. they're actually different things. You can't, you can't say that the pathology in the tendon is the same as the pain in the tendon because they're not connected. And mm -hmm. it, one is a risk factor for the other. So what causes the pathology? It's probably an overload. Well, not probably. It will be an overload of the tendon where you have exceeded the capacity of the tissue either chronically or, or acutely sometimes, very occasionally acutely, not that often. Uh, what causes the pain is seems to be the same thing, where you have a response in the tendon, and the tendon cell is probably responsible for both the, the, um, the start of the pathology cycle as well as the, producing the substances, the nociceptive substances that are detected uh, and, and become pain. Mm -hmm. So the cell is intimately involved, the tendon cell is intimately involved in, in the whole process. Mm, interesting. And how do you respond to someone who's, let's say it's an acute injury mm -hmm. and the first thing they want to do is put ice on it. I mm -hmm. mean, do you say ice no. to ice or not to ice? No, I usually say, does ice help? And they usually say no. I say, don't waste your time, spend your time doing exercise. Mm -hmm. If they say ice helps me tons, First thing I'll think is I wonder if there's some peritendon involvement, and the second thing is that's fine. Use whatever you want. Mm -hmm. you, I don't care what adjuncts you use or what things you think help you, whether they're placebo or not. As long mm -hmm. as you're getting your exercise done, your mm -hmm. loading right, 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they want to spend 20 minutes doing ice, that's great. But it's not going to be the thing that makes a difference. And, in fact, if you ask your patients, most of them will say it doesn't help doesn't at all. Help. It's, you know, I do it because I've been told to and mm-hmm. the coach goes cranky and all that stuff. Right, It usually right. doesn't make any difference. So it's like gone are those days of rest, ice, compress, elevate. I hope so. Uh-huh. Yeah. Certainly anyone I speak to, I hope so. <laughs> so, okay, so after this, we will all know. Yep. No, no more oh, racing. You can continue to do it. It won't help you. It right. won't help the person. Right, right. Okay, so the last, the last myth that we're going to talk about today, and we sort of touched upon it a little bit earlier, is so once you're pain-free, as the pa- once your patient is pain-free, they are back to sport, and from because they're pain-free and back to sport, they're done. They don't have to continue with those exercises you gave them, whether it be the strengthening, the endurance exercises. It's healed. They're done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's, that's another onion question. The first thing is that the degeneration in the tendon probably never changes. So you don't heal them. You get rid of their pain, but the actual pathology stays within the tendon. So that's one of the things that we say to patients, once a tendon, always a tendon. If you behave, your tendon will stay pain-free. If you do something silly, your tendon will become painful again. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is with Ebony Rio's work is there appears to be a lot of cortical inhibition associated with tendinopathy, more than in a lot of other conditions. So this explains to us why when you send somebody back to sport, that they can actually lose strength. So if you send them back and you don't attend to continuing strength work, they actually lose their strength quite quickly again. And that's because the brain is saying, be careful. Don't Mm -hmm. use that. That's not a good idea. Remember, it used to hurt. And we've never really fully understood, but of course it makes sense that it might be a cortical process. Mm -hmm. So we always say to our patients, you need to continue your strength work for a full 12 months after you've returned to sport and then you may have a chance of being able to give it up. But if they're an elite athlete, we make them do their strength work two times a week, sometimes three times a week Mm -hmm. for the rest of their career because Mm -hmm. it's sort of like an insurance policy. If they stay strong, they keep their tissue capacity up, certainly their muscle capacity, but also some of their tendon capacity up. Therefore, they're not going to get into trouble again. So it's really important. So, So the brain is, in essence, being so protective over that tendon, even when the pain is gone, that it's just still that danger signal is going up there and it's yeah I because I, 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 it's not a pain signal no, no I, such hate, thing. I hate being in this area because I'm not an expert mm-hmm. and everyone is so pedantic about the semantics it, it, it's frightening basically what you do and I don't think it's isolated attendance but I think we see it very clearly in tendons is you are protective of the limb after it's been injured. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've sure. had a leg fracture, you don't run exactly the same for quite a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And part of your rehabilitation is meant to be to get that all back. But I think we forget sometimes and we sort of say, oh, well, you know, you've got full range of motion, you can go back out, you know, you're fine. And, you know, you've actually got to go out and watch them run and see that they're a bit like a one-legged duck and they, mm-hmm. you know, run in circles <laughs> because they're not taking the weight properly and, and using their limb correctly. Well, we see that in tendons. They change direction a little bit differently they don't Mm -hmm. jump quite as well and sometimes if you're just talking to your athletes they'll say that and often we'll say we can get you back your first season back will be a building season and then what you need is a really good pre-season your second season back will be a cracking Mm -hmm. good season Mm -hmm. but it can take that length of time for them to get really confident again in being able to use their tendon as a spring 
and be sure that it's not going to cause them harm. Yeah, and so it seems to me like when you're seeing these patients with tendinopathy that you I have to really address expectations right off the bat yep. because I would imagine if you don't, yes. you're going to have a really cranky yes. patient. So yes. is that something that, that you address on day one, yep. sort of expectations for them and, and their course of care? I think more than expectation, you've got to educate them. Mm -hmm. We see patients who've been told, oh, well, you can't run. And nobody's told them why. And, you know, if the physio expects them to buy into a ridiculous, you know, statement like that without actually breaking it down and standing them in front of a mirror and saying, well, look how badly you hop on that leg and you're not storing energy and you've lost your muscle bulk and until you can do this, this, this and this, you can't run. Mm -hmm. And we do more than that. We talk about the tendons and how they react to pathology and how pain is caused and how we need to build capacity. We talk them about to them about once a tendon, always a tendon. We, we manage expectation of pain. We can get you back. We can get you perfectly functional. But we're looking for you to be able to play as well as you can. You might be a bit sore the day after, but you'll be right to train the day after that. So all of those things have to be negotiated with the person. You know, you have to get them to buy into a prolonged rehabilitation program. If they're not prepared to do it, there's no point you're wasting your time. You might as well negotiate that day one. And mm -hmm. I think an educated patient is by far your best way of promoting adherence. They suddenly understand why you're telling them it's going to take three months or four months or six mm -hmm. months or even longer. Because you can actually quantify what they need to get back to their sport. And it makes sense. Yeah, and, and do you find patients are a little sort of taken back at first? Because people, I think people think, oh, it's a tendinitis and, you know, it'll just go away, no big deal. Yeah, that's fine. And, again, that's part of the negotiation. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what I think. This is how long it's going to take. This is, these are the reasons why I think it's going to take that long. If you want to do something else, that's fine by me because mm -hmm. I can't make it any quicker mm -hmm. and I can't make it any better. So you either, we either do this program or I'm really happy if we go somewhere else. You know, we shouldn't be selling messages that we can't deliver. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the profession down the road does that. And, uh, you know, the, often the people I see, I see the desperate and dateless a bit. And so they've, they've been there. They've done it. They've done every injection under the mm -hmm. sun. They've done every rehabilitation protocol under the sun. They've seen every profession. And it's probably refreshing for them to have someone who tells them something like the truth instead of <laughs> promising things. Right. Instead of making empty promises, yeah, exactly. telling them exactly kind of this exactly. is the deal, this is how long it's going to take. Yes. So you either buy into it for your health or, like you said, you can go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those were kind of the four, the four biggest myths that we wanted to cover today, so I thank you very much. Is there anything else... Um, I know we can probably have her here for <laughs> oh, three I mean, hours. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to talk about with tendinopathies? Um, but is there any, what, so what is your biggest takeaway? What, what would, you know, when it comes to a, a patient with a tendinopathy, they, you're seeing, they're coming in to see you. Mm -hmm. What is the, if you were to say to one of your students or to, to a therapist, you know, this is the really the one thing I want you to understand when you're when a patient with a tendinopathy is in front of you. Uh, you're probably not going to like the answer. But I, I love it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so in however many years I've been seeing second opinion tendons, 
there's not one that I haven't been able to adjust something in a positive way. The one thing I would, if I had a student, would be to say, look at the rubbish clinical decision that's been gone on here. Look at the rubbish assessment. Nobody's looked at X, Y, and Z. And the take-home message for the physios is absolutely go back to your first principles and, and get it done properly. Because you can fake and bake a whole lot of injuries. You can't get away with tendons doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, great advice. And now if people want to find out more about you, mm -hmm. where, can they, where can they find you? Not very many places. I know you're on Twitter. <laughs> I know you're not like, I know you're on Twitter because I follow you on Twitter. I'm on Twitter and I, <coughs> the university website, La Trobe Uni website, right. but I'm not a great, I don't sort of go looking for a large profile. I right. sort of hide a bit. So Twitter, I like a Twitter fight. I'm really up for a Twitter <laughs> fight. But only on tendons, only on tendons. I only tweet on tendons. I don't do anything else. So I'm up for any sort of discussion along that line. Great. And then that's Latrobe University, Melbourne, Melbourne. Australia. Yep. And also on there has all of your publications as yes, well. So if right. you wanted to uh, look up the – and there's a lot – a lot of them, but a lot of her publications, um, they're all on that website as well. So yep. thank you so much for coming on and taking time out of CSM and meeting us. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks. Well, that was really great, and I want to thank Dr. Jill Cook for taking time out of her schedule at CSM. I, like I said, I learned more in this podcast than I have in the last couple of years when it comes to tendinopathy. Now, make sure you tune in this Thursday uh, or tune in for the next podcast with Dr. Karim Khan because we're going to have the Q&A from the audience, both from Dr. Cook and from Dr. Khan. I didn't want to split it up because then it would have sounded kind of weird. Um, so there are some great questions of Dr. Cook uh, concerning tendinopathy. So tune in for the next podcast. You'll get those questions and you'll get to hear from Dr. Karim Khan. So again, thanks for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.